This program contains explicit content and subject matter which may be unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I have spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create and maintain meaningful relationships that have sizzling sex without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today the day to today the letter yeah I can speak. Today the letter is P and P is for patriarchal abuse. And today we're going to talk about female genital mutilation. So joining me to talk about this difficult subject is Farzana Doctor. Farzana Doctor is a Toronto-based author of four novels, Stealing Nazarene, Six Meters of Payment, All Inclusive, and Seven. Seven was just named an Indigo Chapter's Best Book of the Year and Amnesty International Reader's 2020 Choice. Farzana is also the Maasai behind Dear Maasai, a new sex and relationship column for FGM slash C survivors. She's also an activist, part-time psychotherapist, and an amateur tarot card reader. And I will put her website, which is farzanadoctor.com, in the um, notes below the podcast. So welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Gosh, it's my pleasure. So I want to start off because I don't know how many listeners will even have any idea about female genital mutilation and cutting. Um, So I want to give them the WHO definition, and then I'm going to ask you for your comments on that. So what they say is female genital mutilation involves the partial or total removal of external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. The practice has no health benefits for girls and women. It can cause severe bleeding and problems urinating and later cysts, infections, as well as complications in childbirth and increased risks of newborn deaths. It says more than 200 million girls and women alive today have been cut in 30 countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, where FGM is concentrated. It's mostly carried out on young girls between infancy and age 15. And they say female genital mutilation is a violation of the human rights of girls and women, and they're opposed to all forms and opposed to healthcare providers who will perform female genital mutilation. And the treatment of health complications in 27 high prevalence countries costs 1.4 billion US dollars per year. So I would add um, that we now understand that it's happening in 92 countries across the world. So this is really a global issue. I think there used to be this idea that it was places in Africa and the Middle East and Asia, but you know, we're hearing uh, survivors, you know, this is a Me Too movement for this issue. And so survivors are beginning to come forward in different ways than we've seen before. So recently we've heard of survivors in Russia, in Colombia and South um, America, and um, we have seen white American women as well coming forward. So we really need to start thinking about this issue 
in the full complexity. And I think of it as part of the culture of patriarchy. And if you think of all the kind of patriarchal sexual violence that happens all across the world, it's just part of the same continuum. Like it's the same as rape culture in some ways. It's the same as, you know, the whole mythology around virgin whore stuff, right? This is done to control uh, girls and women's and non-binary people's uh, sexuality. For me, it was really interesting because it's, it's a, it's something that I knew about in terms of Africa and Asia. And it's something that I'd seen in some clients who had come forward in the United Kingdom, who had come forward for treatment for trauma. Um, and so it was, it's certainly a very live issue in the UK. And it's a live issue about children being taken back to family of origins countries. But what surprised me, and I can't remember which show it was on now, but I was in conversation with somebody who m- mentioned the white young women in the U.S. Um, yes. from some some intense Christian sects where this is going on now as well. And I had not ever heard that. Yes. And, you know, a colleague uh, told me recently that until the 70s, um, some health insurance plans covered it. So doctors were performing it. So that means that there are like people out there in their 40s and 50s and older who um, may have had this and maybe don't really understand what has been done to their bodies because no one talks about it as such a taboo subject. Health insurance. I mean, I just that just now I come from a Jewish background. And so circumcision is part of the culture. That's something that happens at seven days. But I was also raised in America where everybody was circumcised. I mean, I know that that's changed recently. But certainly up to a certain age, like if you were born in the 60s, the 70s and the 80s, the chances are and you were male, the chances are you were circumcised. And as a result, and that there are circumcisions that happen, male circumcisions that happen for um, medical reasons. It's it's this powerful like social norm, you know, uh, it just seems like a normal thing to do. And so people do it and they don't think if. Is, is it harmful? Could it cause problems? And that's how it is definitely in the community that I'm from. I'm from the Dawadi Bora community, which is based in India. And we've only been having a public discourse about this issue for the last five years. Wow. And so it's this like really powerful social norm in the community where people just thought it was normal. And so activists in the last five years have really been trying to educate around, you know, there could be some really... Uh, big consequences, um, mostly psychosexual um, kinds of consequences. But do you, and do you think the reason that we don't talk about it is because talking about psychosexual things around around women is something that doesn't get talked about anyway. I'm amazed at how many women that I see in their sixties who have never looked at themselves and don't know a thing about their own anatomy. Uh, and, And that's not unusual but, yes. but quite shocking when you think about it. Yes, I think it's it's certainly because of that. Um, and then it's also about trauma. Like um, most survivors will talk about um, having a sense that what was happening was to be kept secret in much the same way that, you know, child sexual abuse survivors have that feeling. And so there is this powerful pressure, internal pressure to never talk about it. So I think it's it's both things that are happening at the same time. So 
I know there's a really wide variety. Um, I have WHO describes four different kinds, but I know there's an even wider variety. And yes. are there cultural are there cultural reasons that are given for each type? No, um, the the cultural reasons w- would be the same, and again, that's why I call it the ca- culture of patriarchy because it's all about controlling sexuality. Um, but there might be nuances in different communities. So, but but you do hear the same thing, like it makes a girl good, it makes her more marriageable, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's it's all ridiculous. Um, but again, it's it's kind of like male circumcision. If we thought, oh, it makes them cleaner. Again, social norm. It's not, you know, accurate. Yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> I mean, think about it. It's just it just has such a huge impact, though. It's, yes. Uh, yes. Unlike for men, where yes. pleasure is still felt, where some men argue they have more pleasure. I mean, there's a huge debate that I've. I've been pretty yes. sit on the sidelines of, but unlike for men, for women, this really does control their sexual yeah. experience in in really horrific ways. Yes, so, and in 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 my community, there are two groups that did a couple of studies to look at um, how the impact, what the impacts are, and um, around thirty percent of women said that it had severely affected their sex lives. Another 35% said they weren't sure if it did or not, which I think speaks to lack of sex ed. And some of the impacts were like too much sensitivity or not enough sensitivity, trouble with orgasms. And then there were definitely people who talked about like trouble with trust, Mm -hmm. which impacts sex, right? Right, definitely. And I imagine if they were to have looked at things like dissociation during sex, that they would find that that was that, that research would find that that was something that's quite common. I mean, it, it's, you you form your first. It's so early in life you're forming some of your first memories of someone else touching you. Yes. And in, yes. in a process that isn't pleasant, that isn't something um, that you understand, um, that in yes. many cases is 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 done without anesthetic, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, no anesthetic. It's often done by amateur cutters. Um, sometimes it's done by doctors as well. Um, and it's also often done under duress, right? Because kids are told um, that they're going to a party or for ice cream. And then this like painful, confusing thing is being done to them by a trusted elder. So I, I mentioned the duress because sometimes um, in the you know, because we have all these reactions, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, right? right. So if, if you are in a fight mode, if you're uh, a kid who uh, managed to do that, um, you might have um, more injury uh, done to you than a kid who was in freeze. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that makes perfect sense because they held still just because they weren't able to control their body at all. They were completely Yes. Broken. Yes. Whereas yes. if you were fighting, you're liable to, you, you wouldn't have held still. So there's such a range then of what kind of injury can happen to you. Um, so in, in, in my uh, community, the injury is done to the clitoral hood, supposedly. Um, so you might have had a very light cut and no scarring at all, or you might have had way more damage done even to your clitoris. Yeah. And we, I love the way you said supposedly. 
So we are just a minute from break. When we come back, we're going to go into more detail about this. Um, if you do have questions, please do send them in. We will endeavor to get all of them answered, even though um, we're pre-recording this one, so we won't have them live. Um, but we will endeavor to get all of them answered. So please do send them in. We'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words from the sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week it is P and P is for patriarchal, patriarchal abuse. I will say that right by the end of the show. Um, and I'm with the amazing Farzana doctor. And we're talking about female genital mutilation. And what you were saying before the break was that in your culture, it's, a, it's supposed to be a clitoral hood cut. Now that assumes that the person doing the cutting understands the difference, different parts of your anatomy. Yes. And again, with a lack of sex ed, I'd really wonder, and it's such a thin membrane. Yeah. You've got to be like really delicate. You've got to have good lighting. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And and do they, I mean, do they have the sense that being delicate was important? Um, You know, in, in my community, we've had people talk about really different experiences. So I'm going to use air quotes. Uh, Some people have had light cuts um, other people have described like the whole hood removed. Uh, some people have uh, described having like half of it there and hanging. Like it's just, there's no standardization, unfortunately. Right. Um, that I don't mean that there should be standardization, but there's no way to be able to, to make generalizations about it all. It, I mean, it just seems so odd when yeah, as somebody standing outside who didn't have any of that rhetoric growing up at all. Didn't have great sex ed either though, but you know, there, there's <laughs> that. Um, and did have, and did, did come from a background where boundaries were very strange. However, um, it does seem to me very strange that, that they could justify in any way that that would do something right. It, yes. If you're trying to control such control things. So a woman doesn't have too much pleasure because if a woman has too much pleasure, then she won't be faithful. I mean, that's part of the, 
Yeah. And, and to people who have, you know, given lots of thought to this and maybe are like interested in their sex lives and interested in pleasure and play and all of that, this would seem like really off the wall, right? But if you're part of a community where, you know, sex isn't talked about at all and sex is considered to be something like a little shameful and all of that, um, you just, you just want you want your girls to grow up to be what you consider to be acceptable. And, and you've never thought about that. And so again, right. it's a cultural norm. It's just a norm. Mm-hmm. I know, but it's just such a, it's just such a, it's so to me, it's foreign, obviously, but when yeah. you think about it, I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. If people actually thought it through, it wouldn't make sense. It's true. At all. It's yeah. true. There's, there's this one scene, um, in the book where I have my protagonist talking with her cousin who is pro Kutna. And it's such a halting conversation where, you know, one person is on one side, another person is, you know, on the other side, but trying to make sense of it. And there are a number of places where my protagonist almost backs out of the conversation because she doesn't know how to even start a conversation with her cousin who she's very close to. So I think that, um, I think that what what happens is that if we don't have, if we don't, if we're not able to normalize uh, conversations about sexuality and about FGM, we're never going to be able to get anywhere with being able to stop FGM. I I think you're right. And I think, you know, one of the issues is, is that, I mean, how do you normal, you know, how do you normalize when you can't even talk about sex? Right. Yes. I mean, how do you have that conversation if you have never been taught about your anatomy? So you don't even really know what you're losing. Yes. And what and I, I think you're having problems with because nobody said anything. So it's it's the people who are in more privileged positions who who um, don't have that much to lose. All of that, like people in my position who can just talk and talk and talk about it and hope that some of the people who can't talk about it can listen to some of these conversations. So, you know, that's part of why I wanted to write a book that folded in some of these issues. It's uh, why there's a lot of sexuality in the book, um, including some BDSM. Um, It's it's why, um, you know, I'm part of groups that are starting to have panel conversations about sexual healing and, I've got this new advice column that talks about relationships and sex. So it's just about, let's just keep doing this and let's see if people will respond to it. And I think it's so important because you're right. There's no way that we're going to change minds. There's no way that this is going to stop if people aren't even talking about the basics, which Mm -hmm. is always fascinating to me that we're sitting here and it's 2020 and we still in the vast majority of communities, and I think it's really important that people get that. When you say this is worldwide, it is. And the problem of not discussing this is worldwide. In the vast majority of communities, we are still not discussing sex. We get taken off. I get shadow banned on Facebook mm-hmm. for talking about sex and healing for talking about sexual trauma. If you say the word sex, you can't be on social media saying the word sex because that is automatically associated with porn. And here, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with pornography, guys, don't get me wrong. But to talk about what I do in the same breath as talking about porn, pornographic entertainment, right? And saying that we're the same. 
Yes. So you're, tra- you're trying to talk about health and wellness and like being in our bodies in a way that gives us pleasure. Yeah. And joy. And, and it is amazing to me that rather than moving forward, we seem to be moving backward again. Um, mm. There's a much larger split. It's much harder to get any kind of decent education, which starts by understanding what it is that we've been given. You know, we're born with a body. We should understand what's there. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I never had any of that. I mean, I, I, I mean, the sex education, I mean, I'm 57. So sex education um, in the 70s in the United States was, you know, this is your reproductive system. Right. Yes. And don't have sex. <laughs> yes. Yep. Don't have sex because you'll get pregnant. I mean, we weren't mm-hmm. even really talking disease then. I think they mentioned a couple of things. I remember I remember them mentioning um, gonorrhea and syphilis. Right. But it was don't have sex, you know, this is your reproductive system. And if you have sex, you might get pregnant. And the big thing that everybody was worried about was pregnancy. But there was nothing about pleasure at all. And there still isn't, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which amazes me. Yes. And then after we don't educate people, we expect them to get married and then understand pleasure. It's this really strange thing. I mean, I, I spoke with some women who were part of the purity movement in the United States Um, who said that they really internalized that sex before marriage was bad, sex before marriage was bad. And then what they really internalized was that sex was bad. So they then got married and they couldn't feel anything and they couldn't let go and they couldn't sit in their body and engage in sex because all they could could think of was it was bad. The fact that they now had a ring on their finger and a a husband didn't make a difference because they've been so indoctrinated. And so they have like, even though their bodies maybe didn't get cut in any way, they probably have major consequences that are similar to all kinds of trauma survivors. You know, they, they, they might even have sexual pain and not know why, right? Um, And pelvic floor problems. A lot of vaginismus in that group. And that's something that crosses over to trauma survivors and um, FGM survivors too. Yeah, you stamp shame on the body and it starts to hurt. Yeah, because anytime you feel something good, it's it, it's frightening, it's scary. So mm-hmm. it, you've got to lock it up because mm-hmm. really we're built for pleasure. And the reality is, is that if we weren't so locked up, it's easy for us to feel pleasure. You know, where there's always the story is we're, we're more difficult than men, right? You know, we're more difficult, we're more complicated. That's the story. It's actually a lie. We're not more difficult. We're just different. Um, but I mean, we get shame from the time we're very small uh, still, unfortunately. I, I think, you know, this idea that, um, our sexuality has to be controlled is a very curious one, right? Like people are so threatened, uh, by our sexuality that they have to go to all these lengths. And I think it's time for us to take back that power. What do you think people, I mean, this is such an interesting question for me because I, I try to imagine what people's reaction to that is. First of all, what do women think taking back their power looks like? Mm-hmm. Well, I can tell you like, um, so when I, when I was going through my own trauma around the Kutna, um, you know, I would have said before um, all of the trauma memories were kind of surfacing in a way that was hard. I would have said I was a really sex positive person, um, 
you know, no problems there, nothing, no, like nothing has affected me. And then um, I started having body memories and nightmares. I started having freeze responses during sex and crying during sex. All this stuff started happening for me. So then I had to, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm a therapist myself. So I knew like, okay, something's up, go see a therapist. <laughs> so I went to see a therapist. Um, I needed to educate her about Cutna because this is, um, we're, this is type one FGM. And if anyone has been trained, they've been trained about type two or type three, because, um, you know, comrades from um, places where that's been happening have been doing much more work for a much longer time. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I educated the therapist. And then we just did a lot of work around mindfulness. And um, taking back the body for me meant uh, reowning my body. And I wouldn't have even known prior to that, that I didn't own my body. So it, it was really in a very experiential body based way knowing this is mine. I stop when I want to stop. I start when I want to start. Yeah. Um, I change everything if I want to change everything. Yeah. It's really mine. And I didn't even realize that I didn't have that understanding before. It, that's so interesting to me because I have a very similar experience as a result of, of sexual violence. Um, and um, we are like a, 30 seconds from break. So we'll take the break and I'll tell you the story afterwards. But it's very, they, they, my sense was it was very much about this is mine. And I need to, I need to prove to myself again that it's mine. Yes. And yes. it's a very different feeling. Um, it's very, it's a very interesting one because it, it seems like that one crosses cultures. Yeah. That that's one of the things. It is. It's one of the things that happens as a result is that we don't feel like we belong to ourselves in any way. So we'll be back in about two minutes after some words from our sponsors. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey everyone, welcome back to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. And this week it is P and P is for patriarchal abuse. And I am with the amazing Farzana doctor. And we're talking about um, female genital mutilation and sexual violence. Um, And 
before the break, I was saying that for me, um, as a sexual violence survivor, the thing that was important to me was to be able to say, this is my body. So one of the first things I did, this is going to sound really bizarre to some people, is I went and jumped out of an airplane. Um, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense to you. Other people, and if, if, you, if you understand this, it really will make sense. And I remember that a friend of mine said to me, why the fuck are you doing that? And I said, because it's my body. And he tried to kill me. And it, it, if I'm going to die, I'm going to be the orchestra orchestrator of that. Nobody yeah. else gets to take that from me. Um, and they were all like, okay, you're a bit odd. <laughs> but, but I went and I did that. I'm also heavily tattooed, which, which most of the time people don't see. And that's the first one was in 1988. And that was the, the first taking back of my own skin. And I said, this is my skin. I can do what I want to my skin. And that's beautiful. that has continued. So I, my, I have a full back piece. I've got art everywhere. All of it's symbolic for me. None of it is... I'm, I'm one, if you're going to put something on your body forever, it better have meaning because the meaning won't go away. Otherwise, you know, um, but it, it's a ritual for me of, of, of remembrance most of the time. Yes. And I've seen that in other survivors. Yes. There's an effort to do that. What's interesting is then, then people look at me and say, but you're a submissive. So how do you, how do you figure that out? And I said, well, because I'm doing it consensually. Yes. And, and you're in control. I mean, mm -hmm. I, that's my power to be able to gift this to somebody. And mm -hmm. it's really difficult. I mean, I'm full time that way. So it's really difficult for people to understand sometimes they're like, but, but wouldn't you want not to do that? Well, actually I had to work to be able to do it because it requires being vulnerable. And yes. when you've survived through things like this, being vulnerable is not something you're good at. Yes. It's dangerous. Yes. yes. So you end up being like really braced, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I tell everybody I'm the biggest control freak on the planet, right? <laughs> and, but that's what I see. That's what I see across the board in people who have experienced any kind of um, patriarchal abuse, really. It, women who have experienced this are all very much want to control their worlds. Right. Non and non-binary folks, same thing. It's I need to be in control of my world because if I'm out of control of my world, something, something horrible happens. Yeah. And so it makes sense that we want pockets at least of, of, of place and space where we don't have to be control freaks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, because being a control freak is exhausting. <laughs> It would be interesting to have the conversation with somebody who hadn't experienced it to find out how they view control. Right. It's not a conversation that I think people have very often, just like we don't talk about our sex lives terribly freely. I mean, I hope that people have people they're comfortable talking about that with just, I mean, you know, just exploring just out of interest, not even working mm -hmm. things through, but I think control is another issue. Women are not meant to be controlling. You know, it's bringing it back to what you said. This is about controlling women's sexuality. It's about controlling women. And why is that seen? Why are we so dangerous? What's so yes. dangerous about us that we have to be controlled? Yeah, I think it goes back to being um, possessions, you know, um, mm -hmm. non-consensually, <laughs> you yeah. know, and yeah. um, we're, we're property um, in, in that way that, you know, probably happened uh, 
you know, a couple hundred years ago. So, um, so we need to be controlled. So we know um, if we're having children, whose children, those children belong to because they're property too. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, I, th- I think that's interesting because I was having that conversation with somebody um, the other day, we were talking about um, polyamory versus monogamy. Mm-hmm. And I was asked the question, do you think that monogamy is, um, is really inbred in humans? And I said, no, absolutely not. Because you can mm-hmm. see where monogamy starts. And monogamy starts where we start mm-hmm. having patriarchal societies as a rule. Um, yes. Because matrilineal societies, it's not difficult to figure out inheritance. Yeah. You always monogamy. Yeah, monogamy is just a social norm at this point, right? And it's mostly an unquestioned one. Yeah. But it's it, again, it's all about power, which is the thing that I find most interesting about it is that it is, it remains about power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if women have had these experiences, where do they go when they realize something's yeah. wrong? So, um, unfortunately, there's not enough places in the UK. Um, you know, there are national action plans to deal with this. And when, what I mean by a national action plan is that um, there will be a system in place where the social workers know what to do and the doctors know what to do and the teachers and the border guards and all of that, right? Yeah. So, um, so that, that does happen in the UK. And so there are some services available, but in Canada, there's almost nothing. Um, it's just not talked about in Canada. In the US, there are some services, but you know, all of this is gonna be stuff that is a little hard to access. So what I would say, if anyone is listening and is wondering where to go next, um, in your, wherever you live, um, look up FG, end FGM network. Because in most areas, there's some kind of end FGM network. In Canada, we have one. In, in the UK, there is one. In the, in, across the EU, there is one. In the US, there is one, and so on. So, so look that up. And then you'll find the list of all the organizations that might be near you. And some of those might have like some therapeutic supports. Um, definitely, if you're speaking to a therapist, make sure that the therapist is trauma-informed. Uh, because even if they don't know about FGM, they can start to make the links to be helpful because someone might know about FGM, but if they don't know about trauma, then they're not very helpful as a therapist, right? Yeah, I'd be stronger than that, actually. As a trauma therapist, I'd be stronger than that. Don't see somebody who who does, make sure they they really know their trauma stuff first. Yes, and have have like methods to help you. Absolutely. Yes. They can go, they can go and learn about FGM. You don't have to educate them about the whole thing. A good therapist yes. will go and learn on their own and then you can educate them about your experience. But if they're not trauma informed, if they're not trauma trained, you're going to be in difficulty. Yes. And the other thing I would say is um, go and find stories of other people in your own community because that is really healing. Um, so, for example, if you look up an organization called SAIYO, that's spelled S-A-H-I-Y-O, um, they have been doing um, stories from survivors for the last few years. They're just these three-minute snippets, and they, they can be very powerful for, like, 
making connections for your own self. Um, be careful with seeing healthcare um, providers because they, for the most part, don't know enough and they can be very invalidating. If you do go to a doctor and you're unsure if they know anything, take a friend with you so that there's someone there to witness for you if there is an invalidating response. Because if you're a trauma survivor of any kind and then you get an invalidating response, it can really be shattering, right? Absolutely. So having, having someone there to say that wasn't okay or even intervene on your behalf can be really helpful. I always recommend advocates. I mean, even the best of us, I am, I'm, you know, I'm a strong woman and I can speak my mind, but if I have to deal with medical practitioners in certain circumstances, I will have an advocate with me because if I'm scared about something, I may not be in the best place to advocate for myself. So having somebody there with you who is able to be really clear and really strong is really useful. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a strong advocate, too, around all these issues. But if I go to the gynecologist, my partner comes with me. It's right. just necessary for me. And, and, and nearly, like, n- nothing has happened ever, but it just makes me feel accompanied and witnessed. Um, and that's really important. Yeah, somebody who knows your truth and is able to speak to your truth, even if, even if you don't need to use them. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. having that so there isn't any of the potential because I mean, I, I mean, I've talked very vocally about some of my experiences with gynecologists and, and, you know, and um, how many of them don't educate women about the things that they should and how many of them don't realize issues. So yeah. um, You know, it's possible that it's not even whatever your trauma is that's pushing the button for them. They just don't know. They're just yes. not well educated there. I mean, we can all be stuck in our own little narrow-minded place. Mm-hmm. It's always useful if you don't have to be the only one who's standing up for you in those circumstances. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Do you see this increasing or decreasing now with women speaking out? You know, um, it's hard to say because in most places, there the governments aren't um, keeping statistics, right? And so it's very hard. Uh, to tell. Um, In places where statistics are being kept, again, if people aren't honest about what's going on, it's hard to know if the statistics are right. But I want to say that there's some hopeful anecdotal sorts of evidence that we're hearing about. So when it comes to the Dawoodi Bora community in Kutna, um, there have been some um, very public legal cases. And I, in the book, I kind of closely, as, as closely as I could in fiction, I documented some of those. And um, those cases, while they haven't been very successful in terms of prosecuting the people responsible, um, they have made people a bit afraid. Because those cases um, happened because kids came forward and told somebody, a social worker or a teacher, that this thing had happened. So, um, you know, people were alerted. So now people are kind of like, okay, well, you know, this was really terrible what happened to that doctor, to that mom. Um, We don't want to go through that. So maybe we will just not do this. We're also hearing from people who are understanding the message that this is harmful, who previously kind of were in that mushy middle of people who are like, uh, not sure, ambivalent about it. 
they're now saying, okay, I get that it can be harmful. Maybe it wasn't, you know, for me, but it, I get that it could be for other people. So um, I'm not going to do it, but I don't want to speak up about it. So I won't tell my mother-in-law or whoever's pressuring me to do it to my kid. I'll tell them I did it. I'll lie and say I did it. So there's that kind of subversive stuff going on. And then there are more people speaking up in my community, you know, people who would have been very afraid. And, and, and there's some good reasons why people can be afraid to go against our, our religious leader, you know, are now retweeting things and reposting things. So that right. gives me a lot of hope. Even my own grandmother, who is um, 96 now, um, has agreed to have her photo taken for a couple of our social media campaigns. And that just uh, just touched my heart that she's, she's a woman who said, okay, I get it. In the last five years, I get it. And I get that we have to change this. Wow, that's amazing. So we will be back in a couple of minutes after some words from our sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey everyone, welcome back to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and this is P, and P is for patriarchal abuse, and I am with the amazing Farzana doctor. So what you said just before the break, 96 years old and is getting that we need to change. I'm just like, that just warms my heart. Yes. So that's an example of just somebody who needed information. Yep. And I'm sure that there are a lot of people who actually do, you know, I mean, I'm sure that there are... um, I imagine that, and I know of families where everything's gone along reasonably well, reasonably well, reasonably well, and then suddenly somebody had some really negative consequences. And that changed the whole family view towards what they did for the next generation because they saw what Mm -hmm. happened with negative Mm -hmm. consequences. And sometimes it takes actually seeing that or hearing about that enough for someone to be like, oh, maybe I'm not looking at this in the right way. Yes. 
Yes, and we're we're seeing that um, around some of the debates around male circumcision, which is not the same thing as what we're talking about. I want to make no. that really clear. Um, but you know, some of some survivors um, in that um, area are kind of saying, "I had I had some negative consequences. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how this is non consensual. Uh, let's talk about bodily autonomy of you know kids who were born male." Like so. Even even that is being upended. I know, but that gets more attention. This this doesn't it annoys me. It's like I you know I I ended up in part of a huge debate around that when I had my son actually, um, and I was like, so we're we're spending a load of time talking. I even said this. We're spending a load of time talking about this. This where I can document the overwhelming amount of non-negative consequences, but we don't talk about. Yes. When we mutilate women, right? You're yes. getting on my case. There's a term. My son actually medically needed to be circumcised. So that kind of dealt with the moral debate for me because mm-hmm. a doctor said, yeah, you need to do something and you're better off doing it now. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait till he's two years old. So he'll be in pain until he's two. And then we're going to have to put him under general anesthetic. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, this is much easier. Do it this way. I was like, okay. Um, but you know, there was this huge debate and I was like, oh, I love how we're all talking about this and everybody's up in arms and women are behind defending men and they're all up in arms and it's all very loud and very public. Yes. And this is very quiet and we don't talk about this. And we're getting louder. Thank goodness we're getting louder. Um, but yeah, there there is this real, like, I feel like it's a culture of silence around it. So, you know, um, this last year in Canada, the NFGMC Canada Network um, went to all of these political heads, you know, in cities and provinces to get them to uh, make proclamations on February 6th, which is the International Day for Zero Tolerance of FGM. So, um, you know, there were most of the people said, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And they made the proclamation, which was very good because it raised awareness. But there was one community that said, oh, this is really controversy, controversial. We can't speak about that. And then, of course, they, you know, the network used that as an opportunity to do even more education to those folks. But people, people somehow think that this is controversial. It's not controversial. And, it's not controversial. It's, it's an issue around, you know, sexual violence that happens to girls, women, and non-binary people, and it just needs to stop and right. we need to talk about it. And of course, you know, people have to be sensitive allies to the survivor-led movements. Um, you know, you've got to listen, listen to the people who are impacted and amplify their messages and not be white saviors and all that kind of stuff. But beyond that, there's no controversy yeah, no, I mean, when I hear it's controversial, I'm like, what's controversial about this? Don't mutilate people. It's really simple. <laughs> if, if we, you know, if we were if we were cutting on boys, and, and I'm not, not even boys' genitals, just on boys, right? Yeah, people would go nuts. People would go yes. nuts. And it would yes. be it would be a big, huge movement, and nobody, you know, there would be no issue. Nobody would think it was controversial to say, don't cut somebody for non-medical reasons. Yeah, and because say, boys are allowed, boys are allowed to own their bodies. That's right. And girls are not. Yeah. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's like, look, if you want, I mean, I, I see here myself draw my breath in, but it's something I have to say. Like, if this is something that you want, that you decide to do as a person who is over the age of consent 
and you, for what, for your reasons, you don't even have to justify them to me. It's none of my business. It's your body. Mm-hmm. That's different. It's just like, if you feel like getting piercings all over your face, it's not my business, right? Yes. It's none of that is my business. It's not my business. If you make a decision once you're grown and you have all the information you need, mm-hmm. that's not my yeah. business. And as adults, people will um, have piercings, right? In their hood, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's great. If you're doing it for yourself, it's, you know, your choice. That's great. Right. That's a choice that you're making. And that's fine. There, there's nothing controversial about saying somebody shouldn't abuse a child. And it really is that black and white for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's no consent here and there's no reason. And the reasons, the cultural reasons don't stand up because you're still dealing with something that's permanent and non-consensual. Yes. Yeah. And it is it is that black and white to me too. Uh, one of one of the reasons why I got into some of the nuances in the book, and I have these, you know, all of these women in different places with you know on the issue, is because you have to get into the nuances to be able to address a community. Yep, and right? it, and it's actually really useful that you do that. It's really helpful because you're right. You, you've got to start with people with where they are. So mm-hmm. it. it if we're, you know, I mean, I couldn't talk to some people right now because I'm incensed, right? I have to not yes. be incensed. And I, I think people don't realize that you have to get to a place. If I'm working with a client and, and I know something like this has happened to them and it incenses me, I have to go and deal with my own feelings before yeah. I sit down with them because otherwise you know it's not airspace. I, I actually found that the book helped me with that. I think at the beginning of the writing the, of the book, um, I was just angry all the time. And then um, as I, you know, as I started to love my characters, even the characters who are pro Kutna, and I really like love my characters, I started to feel just a little less angry about the issue. Like I, I still think that it's a problem and we need to change it and yada, yada, yada. But um, I really started to feel like, okay, I can love those women too, because this is intergenerational violence. They're victims too. Yeah. Um, they're messed up about it too. Yeah. So, and, and, yeah. and so, and trying to unpick that is really difficult because you've mm-hmm. got, you've got intergenerational trauma and it just keeps, keeps getting passed down. And even the generation that doesn't do this is still going to have to deal with the trauma of the generation's past. So, yes, yes. But it is exactly. one of the lovely things about the way you write that you really do, you, you, you get drawn right into the characters and you really do get a sense of all the, the aspects of the, um, which I love. I mean, I love being drawn in because I wouldn't be able to go there without somebody prompting me to go there. Yeah. And that's part of why I wrote it as fiction as well, because you can just have like, hopefully a really um, enjoyable um, reading experience. You know, you have all these stories and people and their relationships and so on. And then you fold in some of this hard stuff and then it's really kind of something that you can digest as a reader. It's definitely something that I would recommend if, you, if, if you've had no awareness of the issue. Mm-hmm. Because it gives you so many different bits and pieces. And it does it in a way, um, you just do a beautiful job with the characters. You know, it does it in a way Thank where you. you're really drawn into the story. So it isn't, this isn't um, heavy, right, in any way. It's actually really enjoyable. 
Okay, good, good. And I'm, you know, what I hope will happen with this book, because, you know, this, I am part of this end FGM movement. And I just hope that it becomes a contribution to this movement. I hope that the social workers and the teachers and the doctors and the nurses and just everybody reads this. Um, And I, and I hope that it, it actually is, it is actually just a fun read for people. Yeah, no, I, I'm, if they react to it, like I did, they'll find it that way. It's been superb. And it's, it's, it's just the bottom line for me is that it highlights yet again that we need to start taking back our own power and owning our own bodies. And we need to start educating our young women. Mm-hmm. And that yes. should be controversial. Yes. I know yes, it is to say it's my skin and I have a right to my skin. I know it is because I just watched the U.S. election, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a Supreme Court judge who believes that, you know, issues like this are, are, are too, um, what was the way she put it? They're culturally controversial and politically controversial issues. Right? Yeah, and they just, they just aren't. In every community where this is practiced, you're going to find the feminist activists and they'll show everyone the way. Yeah, yeah, and just really get people to start thinking Outside your own box as well. Figure out what, you know, we, I know we don't know what we don't know. That's one of our, you know, mm-hmm. we all have blinders, every single one of us. But it is something that, you know, if you don't know your own body, that's the place to start. Mm-hmm. Nobody should be mm-hmm. telling you that you shouldn't know your own body. You should know your own body first. And if people are trying to stop you from knowing that, you need to be looking to find the safe places to explore. Yes. um last words on this last words so um i would say just remember that fgm is not this weird thing that weird people do it's part of um, a continuum of patriarchal violence that happens all across the globe it's not dissimilar from all of the other patriarchal violences that you would be experiencing in your own neighborhood um and get involved if you can um, in your local organ in your local area. Just find the networks and the organizations who you can support. Absolutely, that's wonderful. And if they want to find you, where should they reach you? I can be fa- found on social media at Farzana Doctor. So that's Farzana F A R Z A N A and Doctor. Um, um, farzanadoctor.com is my website and my book can be found right now in North America in all formats and I'm hoping that soon um, it'll be um, available across Europe and India as well. Outrageous and we I actually have quite a large Indian listening audience. Great. So thank you so much for joining me. This has been absolutely great. Okay guys so Oh, my pleasure. So next week, don't forget, if you've got questions, please do email me. You can email me at drloribeth at a to z of sex.com or loribeth at drloribethbisbee.com. Um, don't miss the erotica podcast. It's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's erotic library. You can find that on um, my site, drloribethbisbee.inc. You can also find it on Patreon. If you join and support me on Patreon, you end up with exclusive readings, eBooks, and interviews with the authors and some really cool swag because you're helping me to defray production costs 
for this radio show and the Erotica podcast. If you want more, do head over to Facebook and join my Facebook group, which is aptly named Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's membership group. You can find it under Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. That's the place where all the new content goes and some um, discounts for events and things like that. And this week on Saturday night, the 21st of November is the Oral Fixation Masterclass. This is a three hour class on oral sex. If you're interested in attending and you should, you can find the link in the podcast notes or it is http colon forward slash forward slash a to z of sex dot co forward slash oral. I look forward to seeing all of you next week when the letter will be Q. Have a great week and please stay safe. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of the A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Voice America Health and Wellness. See you next week.